Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to Him. I'm Father Randy Sly, your co-host. Today, we're going to be talking with Elizabeth and Joe Nava from Dallas, Texas. Now, Joe is a math teacher, math department head, and campus minister for Jesuit Dallas a College Preparatory Academy where he taught for 14 years, and Elizabeth taught for five years and left to uh, raise their children. However, she's still involved heavily in Catholic education in her local school. She serves on the Board of Education and also connecting with others in Catholic education through social media and other means. They're both Domers, graduates of Notre Dame, and Joe has degrees in electrical engineering and theology. Elizabeth was a part of the ACE program in Catholic education. So, Joe and Elizabeth, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Elizabeth and Joe, we're so glad you could be on Follow to Lead. Uh, I've been looking forward to our, our chat on, on our podcast. Uh, this is a special one for me since Elizabeth and I go back a very long way. Um, I think Elizabeth was in middle school uh, when I first met her and her family. Uh, when I started my own um, uh, experience in the Notre Dame ACE program, where I was placed in Mobile, Alabama, uh, where Elizabeth um, was born and raised. Uh, so it makes me feel a bit uh, old uh, today. <laughs> but, um, you know, those years teaching and serving in Mobile, where Elizabeth called home was a very transformational time for me and my own vocation. Uh, but Elizabeth, is my memory serving me correctly on, on that time frame? I think that's about right. Um, yeah, I think I was in middle school. That was the first time I was introduced to ACE and and Notre Dame teachers that were coming coming down to serve in Mobile. And my family being a Notre Dame family, my grandfather graduated from Notre Dame in the 30s. My mom was just attracted to ACE like a magnet. And she was also a teacher by trade. And so um, she just loved to open our home to ACE teachers. And so I encountered quite a few young people who had come down to Mobile to serve. Um, and you were one of them in the early days. I remember that. Yes, I remember very fondly one of the Thanksgivings uh, that your um, family hosted uh, for those that didn't go back home uh, for that holiday. And Gosh, what an amazing cook your mom is. And we were truly treated with the epitome of Southern hospitality with, with your family. I still have very fond memories of that. As do they, as do yeah. they. <laughs> so, Elizabeth, we know you're from Mobile. Um, tell us a bit about your own upbringing in the Deep South um, and how Catholic education kind of interfaced uh, with, with your growing up there. I think a lot of people are really surprised to find out that the very deep south, the Gulf Coast from about New Orleans over to Pensacola is incredibly Catholic. It's deeply Catholic. It was, you know, in initially settled by by French and Spanish settlers. So the Catholic influence is very strong. And really, my whole life was just steeped in Catholicism. I mean, every part of my life touched the Catholic faith. Um, and so, you know, when ACE teachers would come down and they would be like, oh, there are Catholics here. They would think they were coming to the Bible Belt when in fact it was like everything was just so Catholic. Um, and so for our family, Catholic education was really important from the very beginning. Uh, you know, I went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, and every part of my life, sports, band, everything was just connected to a Catholic church. And so um, I think that really, really formed me as a person coming out of that Catholic world into, into Notre Dame was easy. Um, and then moving out of that into Dallas was more like, 
oh, not everyone is Catholic. And so that was kind of the first time I was like, oh, okay. Well, my whole worldview has been Catholic now. And and now it's time for me to grow up and shift out of that and be like, oh, there's another world out there. And Joe, uh, you um, are now in Dallas with Elizabeth and and your boys. Is that the area that you grew up? Tell us about your upbringing. Yeah, I was born and raised um, in Dallas, a suburb of Garland, Texas. Um, And my Catholic education story really starts with my parents. Um, They immigrated to the uh, from the Philippines to the United States uh, in the late seventies, early eighties. And um, that's just what you did. You sent your kids to Catholic schools. Uh, And so uh, I went to Good Shepherd Catholic in Garland. I had a from pre- preschool all the way to 12th, uh, eighth grade. And, um, it's very much a second family for me, small school. We graduated with a class of 19. Um, and you know, having those formative years and being trained really with, you know, wonderful saints of men and women, um, who, just instilled all the foundational aspects of, of wanting to learn and grow um, was powerful for me. Um, went to uh, Jesuit Dallas and then um, <laughs> went to uh, Notre Dame and then came back. And so back to Jesuit Dallas to teach. So yeah, Catholic, uh, Catholic education is very much a part of me and it's so been so important to me and just being able to give back what I've received and how I've been formed uh, be an instrument of that um is is the reason why i'm still doing what i'm doing awesome yeah and and elizabeth you know one of the things i was doing the last week or so is kind of looking around social media to kind of acquaint myself a little bit with you and joe and i noticed that there are a variety of interests beyond the classroom that that you're involved in you've got the catechesis of the good shepherd you've got some amazing sewing projects uh tell us a little bit more about that other side of your life Sure. Uh, someone asked me yesterday at T-Ball, so do you work? And every time I get that question, I'm like, I, I don't know what to do with this. Yes, I do. I don't know what that means to you, but I'll tell you what I do as work. Um, so when I left the classroom to raise our kids, I knew I wanted to be a, a stay-at-home mom, but that term has kind of become just a joke because I hardly stay home. I mean, I'm going everywhere. Um But when our boys were little, I just felt like I needed an outlet of something productive to say that at the end of the day, you know, all the diapers have been changed, all the dishes have been washed, all the laundry has been folded and everything is still status quo. I don't see any forward progress. And so I found in sewing an ability to say, look, I made this thing and no one is gonna eat it or make it dirty in the next 20 minutes. Um, And so I started just a small Etsy shop, just as kind of something to, I don't know, entertain myself and and give myself a project. And it's really grown. you know, my love of, of catechesis, it really inspires what I do. So pretty much everything I make or sell has to do with forming kids in the home in the faith or giving parents tools to take with them to help them, uh, you know, form their kids at mass because a lot of parents don't know what to do in the pews. So I make little soft plushy toys and things like that. Or I have some banners that I sell that are that I see up in teachers classrooms that have saints on them. Um but lately, I've been getting more involved with the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, um, which is a beautiful um, method of helping children encounter Christ through their senses. And it's really inspired by the Montessori method. And so actually, this coming week, I'm going to be trained as a catechist for the first time. So I'm really excited about that. But what I got involved in was two atriums or atria, I guess, which are the classrooms or the program, the space where children go for the catechesis of the Good Shepherd kind of ties back to the the early church where um, the people who were entering the faith would come to a place called the atrium. So these young children come to this atrium. Well, they needed supplies. They needed small versions of the priest's garments for the children to manipulate as they learned about the liturgy. And so I said, okay, well, I don't know how to sew these things, but I will find out. And so I did a lot of research and a lot of practice and I've made, you know, patterns for how to sew those things. And I've been creating those for my own children to work with and now helping other catechists to be able to use their sewing skills to, to supply things for their atrium. So, you know, you can take the girl out of the classroom, but you just really can't take the classroom out of the girl. (laughs) It sounds like you really see a continuity between family and education. It's not like two separate worlds, but you're trying to bring both of them together. Would that be 
kind of how you would see how you live your life? Absolutely. And I say this all the time when we talk about how do we make Catholic schools Catholic? And, you know, I hear people say, well, I don't want to send my kid to Catholic school because they might not turn out Catholic or I'm worried that that school is not Catholic enough. And I always say, look, we all know that you can have the best Catholic school in the world, but if it is not happening at home, it doesn't matter if I'm the best catechist you've ever had. If you're not helping your children with the faith at home, it seems like a lost effort. So yes, absolutely. It has to be, you know, children need to be raised in an environment where there's no contradiction between what's happening in the classroom and what's happening at home. And when we give children that space where there's a continuity, where there's a partnership, where where their whole worldview can be shaped in these young formative years with an understanding that's continuous, it sets them on a much better, easier path in their faith. I have to say, Elizabeth, I, I really enjoy, you know, following your your feed on, on Instagram and, and your stories, you know, sprinkled with humor, but they're so accessible. You know, we've borrowed ideas that you're doing with your boys at home. And I love how, you know, it just truly is an embodiment of our role as parents, as primary educators and formators of our of our of our own children. Yes, we are sending them to Catholic school that do a great job, but we're partnering with them. We also need to reinforce and do things at home. Um, and uh, um, so I think you're you're really serving a really important um, need that I see for young parents uh, in our schools of how do we bridge this and um, and re- find fun ways to reinforce it at home. So, you know, I I, I, I kind of th- kid that you're like a young Catholic virtuous Martha Stewart. You really are. Um, <laughs> You've got so much going on from gardening and projects and home baking and organization tips. And it's just really awesome. So keep it going. Well, thank you. You you have no idea how much of a compliment that is. You know, uh, as a young person, Martha Stewart was my idol. I have her books. I had her like decor. I wanted to be Martha Stewart, but I'm glad to know I'm a little more virtuous. There we go. Yeah. I mean, well, I think EWTN ought to do, it could do a show in all seriousness. Uh, if you're open to Elizabeth. So, so I'd love to brainstorm on that. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, Joe, um, one of the things that intrigued me is that uh, you have a degree in theology, you have a degree in electrical mm. engineering. Um, did you feel that God was calling you to do something other than teaching at first? Or what was, how was your journey into the, uh, the classroom? Oh, uh, that's a great question. And I think it's a powerful witness that I give to my students when the eyebrow raises that I get from my students and from their parents. Um, So definitely went to college uh, wanting to be quote unquote successful. Um, My dad was an engineer and, you know, all right, that's just, that's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to go study that and be successful and get a, get a good job. And um, and (laughs) I remember my senior year being in a class and realizing having this crisis of this is neither interesting nor fun at all. (laughs) (laughs) And definitely listening to myself and that vocational calling of like, there's gotta be more out there for me, or this isn't my calling um, to just, uh, you know, work on these projects or problem solve and, but also to give and give and give. And um, so I wanted a theology degree because I wanted to take advantage of, of of the Catholic education in Notre Dame. And um, that meant I stayed for a fifth year at Notre Dame. And I always have to give a little asterisk on that is the more reason that my family could afford a fifth year is because my brother went to the Air Force Academy. So I always <laughs> had to be grateful. Yeah. I always had to be grateful to him because the family money that would have gone to him just magically got, came to me. And so that said a lot too with my parents of like, you know, we're giving you this gift of a Catholic education and run with it. And as much as you can think of like the stereotype of Asians and, you know, go be successful and make a lot of money. um, My parents actually turned out to be very supportive once they saw just how happy I was with studying uh, theology and being a part of a choir and doing a lot of things in campus ministry in Notre Dame. And they they gave me this blessing, which was a huge gift of, you know what, we know you're going to be successful with whatever you do. So, um, you know, go for it, be, uh, you know, whatever it is, we know that you'll be happy. And so um, I went back uh, to, to my high school to try it out. Uh, and I was, gonna, I was only going to give it two years and I fell in love with it right away. 
And I think um, part of the beauty, I think, of basically having both sides is um, I'm telling my students that, you know, here's this awesome thing of math and there's order and there's beauty in it and um, it helps us understand and see the world. But it also is, it's, it's, there's clearly a beauty in, in God's creation and that God is um, giving us uh, a way to understand the world um, through math um, that, you know, in a world of, of uncertainty in a world of, uh, of, of, of conflict, I guess, you know, math is a very beautiful subject because, you know, they have definitive answers and they have, uh, a, there's a comfort there and being able to, to understand and, um, apply that. And so, um, you know, I, I'm all about, uh, starting my class in prayer and kind of reassuring my students that, you know, help us to, learn and grow, become the men, the students that you call us to be, that you created us to be to the point where I've gotten to, to, uh, you know, when I, when I tell the kids that they have homework, um, I say, you know, here's your homework for today. And they kind of grow. I say, you're welcome. And then they immediately respond with, thank you, Mr. Nava for opportunities to learn and grow. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. They kind of know my philosophy. It's, it's less about the math and more about just learning and growing and becoming, uh, the men that they're called to be. Um, It's encouraging that God understands calculus. That's the thing that always encourages me. (laughs) Joe, you, you returned to your alma mater, you know, to teach what a beautiful witness that is when, you know, alum return back to their, their school that helped form them. I mean, what a great, great, um, testimony to the young men that you're teaching. Um, you know, tell me some about Jesuit Dallas. Uh, I know a bit, but for our listeners, you know, there are some Jesuit all boys, some Jesuit co-ed. Um, obviously, we, we have an Ignatian year upon us. Uh, we mm-hmm. celebrated the 500 year anniversary of the cannonball moment uh, that St. Ignatius endured, which was ultimately the catalyst for his conversion. Um, Tell us about Jesuit Dallas. Tell us, you know, some of the interesting, you know, tidbits uh, that might intrigue our, our listeners. And then also, how, how has it changed from when you were a student there to, to now mm-hmm. and the students you're ministering to? And what do you see as kind of the opportunities and needs of, of, of this school? Yeah. Um, so Jesuits, all boys, uh, we're at 1130, I believe, somewhere wow. around there. Um and it, it gets students from all over the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. I mean, some students drive like an hour 15 uh, to get to our place here. And I mean, obviously Catholic schools are, are a big feeder for us, but public schools um, definitely come to us as well. So, um, yeah, we serve a lot of students, a lot of families from all over. Um, and uh, the... I mean, interesting tidbits about the school. It's also a museum, uh, wow. <laughs> which is kind of cool that we have we have artwork all over the school, and I think that goes back to you know surrounding our students with beauty and beautiful things, and um, kind of creates a culture of you know here's art all, all around us. And what's very interesting is you've got a bunch of adolescent boys, and they just know not to mess with the art. Like we don't have to expl- explicitly say anything like, oh, by the way, don't touch the art. Like they just know (laughs) that's good. Uh, Another, another interesting thing is, um, I mean, we used to have a lot of lockers, uh, lockers of since things are going digital now, uh, not as much, but there's also been a culture of like, there's no locks on the lockers. Nice. Um, I hear that that's kind of unique to us as well, that, you know, this is a community and community of trust and, you know, no one's here to violate that trust and there's consequences (laughs) to that. So, uh, I mean, that, I remember that resonating with me when I was a student, just like, you know, here's this high expectation. Um, Our free periods, uh, students are just allowed to hang out anywhere, really. Be kids. Um, Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're not constantly being monitored by faculty. It's like, we trust you. Yep. Um, So, you know, do what you need to do. um, Mm -hmm. Get your work done, et cetera. And so it's normal to just see a handful of students just hanging out in the hallways, talking or or just working on their homework and stuff. So um, I really love how the atmosphere is geared towards, you know, we trust you to make good decisions and um, that this is a community, a safe community that trusts each other. 
Um, and then, uh, what was the other part of the question? Sorry. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, Joe, great. This is awesome. How you have felt um, the school has evolved and changed oh, yeah. since you were a student and now coming back as a teacher, Yeah. you know, uh, what do you see kind of happening in the landscape? Yeah, the, the demand for our school is greater. Um, okay. Uh, I think the stat is that we turned down half of our applicants. Wow. Um, that's probably not the best way to say it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, I mean, that says that so many people want to come to our school. Sure. And so because of that, um, they've expanded. Um, when I graduated, it was a class of like 220, 230. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now it's a class of 270, 280. Wow. Wow. Um, and so, you know, that means more buildings, more teachers, um, more bills to pay, I guess. And, uh, but that's part of it too, is that we want to serve, serve more students, more families in the area. Sure. Um, which is really cool that, you know, that we have that security and that we can, um, continue growing, um, right now. So, uh, culture wise. Oh, I mean, the academics has always been top notch, but, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we were part of a private school athletic league and, um, we became too big for it. Okay. And so in the or mid two thousands, um, Jesuit Dallas and Houston, uh, straight Jesuit, mm-hmm. um, they, we both sued the state of Texas, <laughs> uh, to allow our schools to be in the public school league. Um, Texas is weird with how we do athletics here. And it's because, you know, we want to be, it's kind of like Notre Dame and being independent and we want to face the best competition and all that. So, sure. um, they won the lawsuit and we're playing in the highest division. That was part of the, uh, that was part of the, uh, the, the terms of the, of the lawsuit, I think is, you know, we're going to play in six a and face the best schools. And it's not necessarily that we are, you know, going to be dominant in football or anything anytime soon because of how small we are compared to other schools. But, um, you know, that's given us more, more, uh, public, a a more public uh, face Mm -hmm. and why that's powerful to me. I I have the pleasure of serving as the chaplain um, for the basketball team. And, um, which means I get to say prayers before, um, games, uh, home games. And so, it's very refreshing for um, uh, our opponents to, and you know, their fans to come in and to start the game in prayer. Uh, but then when we go in playoff mode, then we're going to these neutral sites and suddenly here I am, you know, <laughs> saying, saying a, 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 a neutral prayer uh, at, uh, you know, at a public school. Uh, nice. And the, it's always like consistent where you just get a huge amen from because Texas is so uh, Christian, sure. you know, yeah. you just get a huge amen of just like how refreshing this is and how much uh, the people around want it. So there's yeah. just another way to witness and evangelize um, just awesome. through, through our school. I love it. What about Joe in terms of of the Ignatian charism um, mm-hmm. and and any evolution there? I've got my my Georgetown uh, polo on, <laughs> and so I'm a proud uh, Jesuit uh, educated guy. And I'd have to say that Georgetown has gotten better in its Ignatian charism um, since I left. I've stayed really connected as as an alum, and uh, ironically, under their first uh, lay president Jack DeJoya, who's now finished his 18th year and alum. Of of Georgetown himself mm-hmm. has really done a remarkable job um, emphasizing the the Jesuit nature and Ignatian spirituality that yeah. imbues the school. Uh, to his credit, I'm curious. You know, at Jesuit Dallas, you know what you're again. You've got kind of this panoramic picture uh, over the years there. Uh, speak yeah. about about the, the, that culture of the school. Yeah, when I was a student. Uh... There must have been at least um, eight Jesuits on campus that um, really pushed the uh, Ignatian character, Ignatian spirituality of the school. Um, and I mean, this is just this definitely sticks uh, or uh, is an example of, of where Catholic schools are right now. Um, when you lose um, those SJs, when you lose um, those uh, Jesuit leaders of the school. 
you know, who's going to continue to carry the torch. We have um, our first lay president okay. um, and uh, he's done a wonderful job okay. of make, making sure that teachers are still trained uh, in the Ignatian language, charism, spirituality. Um, there's lots of opportunities um, for us to basically carry the torch. Um, and yeah, we, we've, we've lost um, the younger Jesuits who uh, would be, um, you know, scholastics who are, you know, at a younger age, more close to age of our students and um, being more relatable and, you know, having their witness as well. And so the need for the lady uh, to continue um, the, the Ignatian tradition um, is there. And it's really empowered us, um, I think, uh, to, to receive that, you know, baton and run with it. Um, I think, uh, where was I going with this? Um, I think that, um, one of my Jesuit friends, you know, told me that their, their job wasn't, they're, they're not like monasteries where you just, you know, plant, plant yourself and then just stay, um, you know, they set up their mission and then they hand it off and then they move off, move into where the other needs are. And so the reality is with, at least uh, with Jesuit education is like, all right, you know, there's other ministries, missions that the Jesuits are needed at. And um, we can entrust um, those, uh, the schools to the lady. Um, and that just goes with training and with, um, you know, continued uh, opportunities for formation and Ignatian spirituality. That's awesome. Good to hear. Yeah, that sounds very similar to uh, what's going on at Rockhurst, where I live here in Kansas City. The same kind of momentum in terms of lay leadership coming in, etc. cetera. Uh, Elizabeth, did you have something to add there? I was going to ask Joe to tell about um, their tradition for Ranger Day and celebrating St. Ignatius. Oh, yeah. Would you share that story? Speaking of uh, the cannonball, um, one of the Jesuits uh, before he left uh, started a tradition uh, during our basically our homecoming weekend, Ranger Day, uh, where um, the freshman class, you know, has to answer quizzes about, um, uh, you know, about St. Ignatius and all the tidbits and facts and stuff. And whoever wins that um, gets to uh, or the top scorers and that gets to run uh, run the gauntlet. Uh, which is uh, a bunch of uh, faculty have dodgeballs and they oh. run back and forth, back and forth. And the teachers are pegging them and then they get out until there's one person remaining. Okay. And the one student remaining is now St. Ignatius. I love it. So he wears <laughs> armor and he has a sword. And on the day of um, Ranger Day, he's, he's dressed up as St. Ignatius and the other kids who um you know got knocked out uh they get a bunch of water balloons and the goal is to just peg peg the guy until someone hits him in his right knee i think <laughs> <laughs> that's great uh, but just something silly to just like you know yeah. say that this is a part of our history and yeah and something they'll, they'll remember yeah. for the rest of their lives you know oh, it's, absolutely uh, very ex- experiential i love that <laughs> yeah that's great <laughs> And Elizabeth, just on your journey in Catholic education and uh, uh, being a part of the ACE program and all of that, what what were the who? I guess I should say who were the main influences early on that kind of set you on the trajectory there? Uh, Kyle was one of them. <laughs> I was <laughs> waiting honestly, for you to like... set him up like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, it really was the young ACE teachers that I was encountering. Uh, in Mobile. I remember thinking, wow, these are some of the coolest people I've ever met in my life. Um, So I had, um, you know, I had this experience in Catholic school where my mom had had taught us so well in the home and I had a great experience in Catholic school, but I just was never really like challenged very much or drawn out in my own academic abilities. I kind of middle school came and I was like, I don't, I'm kind of acting like it's okay to be dumb. Like I want to just like suppress these nerdish bookish tendencies that I have. And there was this young woman who had come to teach in Montgomery. She served her two years in Montgomery and then in ACE. And then she moved to teach at St. Pius. Um, And she was the first person who looked at me and said, 
it is okay to be smart and it is okay to like books. And here is Anne of Green Gables and you should read this and we're going to have a quiz bowl team and you should come be on it because you can memorize all the presidents and you can remember, you know, all these things. And she kind of like gave me space and gave me a community of other people who were also secretly suppressing their love for academics. Um, we had this like little magical after school quiz bowl team. And that changed my life. I mean, that really did change the trajectory of who I was and what I valued about myself. Um, and so I remember thinking like, okay, she was like the best teacher I ever had. And she came out of Notre Dame and ACE. And so I think I want to do that too. Um, and, and my mom had been a teacher, so I always knew I wanted to teach. Um, but when it came to the end of my time at Notre Dame, um, my options on the table pretty much were I was either going to do ECHO, which is the, the kind of sister program that's very similar that forms uh, people to work in parishes and in a kind of apprenticeship program, um, or I was going to do ACE. And it, and it was just really clear to me that, that the call to me was I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to teach in Catholic schools. And so that kind of was, it was just an easy choice. I mean, some choices in life are really hard, but I stood at that, that decision. I was like, well, <laughs> obviously I'm going to go teach for ACE. So, yeah. Did, did you find that same tendency uh, in students when you began to teach that you needed to kind of give them permission to kind of move into the, mm -hmm. the academic world with more aggression and that kind of a thing? Definitely. Um, I taught initially I taught fourth grade um, and it was very easy to en endear fourth graders to yourself right. when you're like a 22 year old teacher. Right. Um, and so they didn't need a lot of coaxing and, and they were mostly fine. But when I moved into teaching middle school and teaching right. middle school theology, that was really where I saw the opportunity. I think this middle school year are really hard. The self-identity is like, who am I? Who are my people? Um, and how am I going to navigate this? And so definitely had more opportunities there to kind of have conversations, especially with young women. Um, the boys were fun to banter with. You know, we, we talked a lot about Notre Dame football and things like that. Um, but having opportunities with young women. And then after I left teaching, I had all these young women who became our babysitters. And that was another way, really even beyond the classroom where I could invite these, these young girls that I had kind of seen something in, right? I'm not gonna, I have this whole, I have like a hundred students to pick from and I can pick the cream of the crop, which is a great position to be in as a teacher to say like, okay, right. I know who these kids are. I know what their family life is. I want these babysitters. Um, and then to say, to bring them in and expose them to our family life at home and say, you know, this is how we run things in our house. And honestly, to kind of grow their own vocation as women and kind of what you're alluding to, Kyle, of, of what I do on, on social media, say just this is how we run things in our home. And, and I hope that it's joyful and I hope it's attractive to you. And hopefully it inspires you in your own vocation as women um, and as you're growing. So, yes, I did have that similar opportunity. Elizabeth, I totally can relate to um, the picking the babysitters and like having that kind of draft system, which we leveraged a lot. Uh, um, in fact, I felt guilty because I said to my wife, I said, you know, I don't know if we can use current students. I think it would create a caste system while they're going through the school. So I said, we need to rely just on local alum, you know, who are, who are attending yeah. college. And, 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 uh, but yeah, we, we, we were, we've benefited so much from just wonderful alum who there's just a congruence of value, right. In how they were raised and how we're trying to raise our kids. And gosh, that's, that's wonderful to have, um, mm -hmm. you know, in your community when you're raising young, your own children. Absolutely. Uh, Elizabeth, I'd like to hear just a little bit. You've gotten very involved in uh, the Catholic school that your children attend. I'd love to hear a little bit about that school. I think it's sponsored by the or run by the National Dominicans, if I recall yes. correctly. So we'd love to hear a little bit about about the school and your involvement there. Sure. So uh, the school is called Mary Immaculate. It's in uh, a, the very closest suburb, northwest suburb of Dallas, which is called Farmer's Branch. And um, it is close to our house. So it was kind of an obvious choice for us to look at when we were searching for schools for our kiddos. And uh, so Thomas went into kindergarten in 2019, fall of 2019. And so um, in, I don't know, January of 2019, I got a call saying, hey, we have an opening on the school board. <laughs> Somehow my name had gotten around that I was involved in Catholic schools. I I was serving on another board of another Catholic school that I just love so much that serves on the margins in West Dallas. And uh, 
so somebody got a hold of that information. They're like, we want you on the board. And I was like, I've only been here for six months. I don't know. They're like, just say yes. I said, okay. So um, I came on board in, I guess, January, February, and then March, 2020 happened. And so oh, I got wow. to watch, you know, the, the just disintegration of life um, through the eyes of a school board member. And so um, it's been a wild ride. I've learned a lot, um, but to be able to serve um, alongside a Nashville Dominican sister, who's our principal, as well as two in our school, honestly was just this sense of balm to my soul in 2020. Um, you know, life was crazy at home of trying, we've got kids at home. Joe's trying to figure out, uh, you know, teaching from home. We're all in a pandemic and just having sister. I mean, she, she didn't, she wasn't Pollyanna about it. She wasn't like, Oh, it's going to be fine. Um, but she had this deep trust that we were, in the care of Providence and that it was going to be okay. And we did have, you know, nitty gritty things we had to figure out, but like underlying all of that was just her deep sense of this is going to be okay. And we are in his care. Um, and I, I cannot imagine uh, surviving that without her leadership, without her calm, steady, just, just eyes on the horizon of like, okay, this is where we're going. And we just have to get through this storm and he's here with us in the boat and maybe he's asleep right now, but we're going to keep going and trust that this is going to be okay. So, um, the school fared phenomenally during COVID, um, you know, just like any other school, we had kids get COVID and have to quarantine and teachers out and all of the things that you just go through. But, um, you know, we've come out on the other side of it, having clarified our vision of who we are and what we're about and things that were seemed big before COVID no longer seem big. And you kind of like, that right. doesn't even matter. You gain a lot of perspective in that of what really matters. And um, so now that we're on the other side of this and, 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 you know, the skies are clearing and we have like, okay, we can go back to the work that we were doing, um, which is establishing catechesis of the good shepherd, um, digging deep into our Catholic identity, because we already had that kind of as our, like, you know, a lot of schools have, have, what is your kind of branded, you know, are you a STEM school or are you a classical school or whatever? And, and we've always been very deep in our Catholic identity. And so we've just doubled down on that of like, what are we going to do to make this a very truly Catholic school? Um, so now that the work of plexiglass and hand sanitizer and, and right. you know, all of those things are kind of a little bit behind us, we're, we're really looking forward to, to what's next and getting back to the, the work of, of Catholic school. You know, hitchhiking on what you're talking about, these last 14 months have just been uh, otherworldly, I guess would be one way to put it. I mean, not only did we have the pandemic, we had racial tension, we had a hotly contested national election. Uh, there, there, it's. Uh, I know at, uh, at St. Michael, where I'm president, our motto was pivot and pray. You know, it just seemed like every day there was something else going on, or as you said, Elizabeth, you had quarantining of kids or of a teacher or whatever, plexiglass sanitizing, all of that. Um, Joe, for you, especially as a campus minister, what was what did you see as the greatest challenge you were facing and keeping uh, the students kind of going in the right direction over the last uh, 14 months? Um, that's a great question. Um, honestly, like it was one of the toughest things that our faculty have ever faced. And um, we, um, I mean, we're flying by the seat of our pants, you know, uh, just so many unknowns and so many things that are out of our control, so many uncertainties. Um, and um, the key that we got from our leadership was it's all about relationships. Um, and um, as much as, you know, we want to be doing our best and be perfect at what we're doing in this um, situation. Um, there is no perfect, like everyone was a first year teacher. Um, this has never been, this never happened before. So, um, you know, set aside that sense of like, I have to be at this place or I have to be doing this for our students and just realize that like in the end, um, you know, it's what our students 
what our students need is stability and what our students need is uh, a loving community where um, they're very much valued and affirmed. And as, as much as everything around us seems um, just totally wacky and out of our control, um, Jesuit being very much a home for them and a place that will, will keep them safe and um, keep them uh, moving forward. So, um, yeah, I mean, for me, it was hard. Uh, I don't have to describe it, but just the teaching with a screen for the students at home and the teaching for the students in front of me and just, uh, you know, having to navigate that and get used to that. Second semester was much better because we knew what to expect. But, right, man, those first those first few months were very much rough. And like you said, coming out of the summer that we had and going through the election, um, you know, I think just continuing to, to pray and to have faith um, and that um, we're not in control <laughs> um, and there are no certainties and, uh, you know, that we're all, but more importantly, we're not alone in this, um, that everyone else is going through the same thing. I think that's what helped me as a teacher is that my, myself and my colleagues were all doing this new um, and same thing for our students that, you know, this you're they're not alone in this as well and that everyone's doing their best um doing their best really um to 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 get through it to get to the mm-hmm. end of the year right. <laughs> yeah it was it was uh every day was a different day especially looking at the the ways that the students responded uh, going through the crisis, some of them were really just doing really well, and others were panicking and and just needing that pr- relationship piece was so mm-hmm. so critical, so important. Um, yeah, health, is, I have to mention. I, go I ahead. have to mention mental health. Mental health as well. I mean, that was a that was a big uh, push as well from our school of of being very aware of where students are, uh, and also our colleagues. Um, yeah. and just taking, yeah. making sure that we're all taking care of ourselves and getting the help that we all need. Um, Absolutely. So. Yeah. Elizabeth, how about you? I mean, you had the, the, you wanted to make sure the kids were safe. Uh, you had school things. What were the challenges that you saw that you were going through during this time? We did, of course, everybody in the spring was remote. Um, and I, so I have a kindergartner, right? Trying to do like remote schooling with a kindergartner is just really a delight. Um, and then in the fall, we had to make the decision, okay, well, the school's opening back up. Are we going to send him back? But the school also offered that we could choose to be e-learners. And at each quarter, we could decide if we wanted to continue as an e-learner. So um, we just made the decision, okay, let's just see how it goes. Our kiddo really was feeling anxious. He didn't want to go into school. He didn't want to wear a mask at school. And so I said, all right, well, we'll do first quarter as e-learners, see how it goes. And uh, it became clear pretty quickly that he and I were not cut out for homeschooling together. <laughs> it wasn't going to be rainbows and butterflies. And so um, by the time uh, Iowa testing rolled around and the principal said, well, if you'd like to come in e-learners, if you want to come in for Iowa testing and just be here for the testing and then go home, that's fine. I was like, let's try that out. And so he went in for Iowa testing and came out every day with the biggest grin. He'd had the best time at Iowa testing and it was so fun. (laughs) It was so great. I was like, I think this is a sign. So second quarter, I was like, buckle up, bud, you're going back. And uh, it it went fine. I mean, I think our school put in so many protocols that that kept everybody safe. Um, but, you know, it doesn't come without that anxiety of just, it would, in parenting, whenever you get to something that you haven't parented before, you're always looking around going, okay, I have no reference point for this. And the, the hard part was just that usually when I'm in that situation, I call a friend who has a reference point for that but nobody had a reference point. And that I think was the hardest thing of like, nobody could give me solid guidance to say, I've been through this and it's going to be okay. Everybody was going, I don't know. I don't know. You just, you just pray and you make the best decision that you can for your kids. And at that point for us, it was a lot more about the mental health for me and for him, the happiness in our home um, and way less about the, the fear of getting sick had kind of subsided. As I had seen, there was just no, contamination happening in the classroom. Nobody was getting sick at school. So I was like, okay, just, just go back. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the big question for us. 
Elizabeth and Joe, as we begin to wrap up our conversation today, uh, I'd like just some of your reflections on um, the adage demographics are destiny um, as it relates to our American Catholic Church right now. I mean, there's been some recent polls of some rather bleak numbers and and data, um, whether it's related to church membership going below 50 percent for the first time in U.S. history across all religious faiths, um, uh, including our our Catholic faith, as well as um, the precipitous decline in in enrollment numbers in our in our K-12 schools. What insights, thoughts, um, words of hope, perhaps, might you have for our listener base, uh, who are parents who are sending kids to Catholic schools, their Catholic school leaders? Um, thoughts on 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 that? Um, I listened to Bishop Barron's podcast this week that came out about uh, his yep. views on Catholic education, which was a really good listen. He actually it referenced was. the ACE program, so I was kind of silently cheering while I listened. Yes. Um, but, you know, he pointed out that what he calls the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, people with no religious affiliation, um, if, if you are a product of a family that did have a religious affiliation and then now you've disaffiliated and you've become a nun. Well, why are you going to send your kids to Catholic school? Um, and I, I think what I take, I took from his message has to do with kind of this, this period where we are, where a lot of people have, have stopped going to mass people who were kind of just like on, on the bubble and the pandemic just said like, well, we don't have to go to mass and we're not going to go to mass anymore. But perhaps some of those people do still have their children enrolled in Catholic school, because as we've seen, one of the problems of Catholic schools is just a view of them as just another private school or just, uh, you know, a way to get our kid into X, Y, or Z high school, X, Y, or Z college. Um, So I see an opportunity for evangelization. I see an opportunity to push back against the loss of faith by creating environments in our schools where we can evangelize. And I think we need to take up that challenge to be to see ourselves in the work of spreading the gospel, to not just assume everybody who comes to us believes this or knows this or has heard the good news of Jesus Christ. We have to really assume the work of evangelization in our schools. Um, and I think that if we equip our teachers and we equip our administrators with the skills of evangelization, that we will be able to make a change for the children in our, our walls and, and hopefully also for their families. That it's not just about the child, but it's also about the family that we have to recognize that there are people who come to us for education for their kids who are, who are possibly hungry for the faith. They don't know they're hungry for the faith and that we, we can give ourselves permission to speak to them and to speak life to them and to speak the gospel and the good news to the families and not just in the four walls of our religion classrooms, but the math teacher can say it, the science teacher can say it, it can be an encounter mm-hmm. in a, um, a parent teacher conference in a letter from the principal that, that shares the good news of Jesus Christ and invites people into the joy of living the gospel. Awesome. Um, for me, I mean, I feel like just doubling down on our mission, um, right. you know, it's, it's an easy word to throw around just being countercultural. And I think definitely with the, the tension of, uh, you know, are we a private school or are we a Catholic school? Are we a private school or are we a Jesuit school? Um, because, you know, as we've expanded and as I mentioned earlier about the athletics, you know, are people coming for the mission of the school or are they coming, you know, I just want the STEM stuff or I just want the, um, the, the sports and, you know, all the other stuff, you know, we'll check the box on. Um, and I mean, that's, I think attention that every school has, right. And what do you have to offer? But, um, in this time of, 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 um, you know, uncertainty or it's looking grim. I mean, what gives me hope, what gives me comfort is knowing that, um, the church has been through this before and we've had saints emerge. Um, I'm thinking of, uh, the congregation of Holy cross. I'm thinking of, uh, the Jesuits, you know, <laughs> and, uh, that mission to evangelize, uh, to build ourselves back up. Um, you know, just keep, keep strong, strong to the mission and, and know that there are things that are in our control and out of our control, but God is working through it. And, um, <laughs> You know, that's, I mean, that's what gives me hope. You know, I, I try not to 
to to worry too much about the the numbers and the demographics but i i see that more of as an opportunity as a challenge and to also myself like be even more committed um to what we're doing you know, uh, as I'm listening to both of you, I, I, I'm just reminded of the title of Father John Ricardo's podcast, You Were Born for This, and uh, just thinking of actually, you were born again for this, that, uh, mm. you know, th- th- we, uh, we as the church, we were born in a, in a mission atmosphere, and we're back in that mission atmosphere again, and uh, I really believe that. I really appreciate your your words because I really believe that God can prosper us in in many different ways as we move forward in this new culture in which we find ourselves. And uh, it's neat to see reversing trends in terms of uh, uh, how uh, schools are now growing in many areas instead of declining. So those are all good good things to think about. Well, Joan Elizabeth, thank you so much. This has really been rich to have you with us and share your life and your perspectives on things. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us today. And uh, for those of you who are watching or listening, if you haven't done already, please uh, subscribe to our podcast and be sure to leave us, leave us a comment to encourage us on our future programming. And we also want to thank our production interns, John Sampson and Alex Shire, along with our production supervisor, Mr. Jack Alsbach, for producing this podcast. And may Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.